ladies and gents, this is Ayatollah Welcome to another episode of the Your Brain Uncovered show, where it is my job to interview leading scientists, teasing out some of their most fascinating work. My guest today is Dr. Ricardo Manco, that's M-A-N-C-O-P-H-T. Ricardo is a neuroscientist and tenured research fellow at Brunel University, London. He has made numerous important contributions with his projects, and his most notable work is mainly focused on the biological correlates of the neuropsychiatric symptoms in Alzheimer's disease. Uh, Dr. Ricardo, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you here. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for your patience with me. So today we'll be discussing the growing literature on psychosis and delusion in Alzheimer's disease. Um, now to begin with, for all you listeners out there, Alzheimer's disease is, you know, the most common cause of dementia. Uh, usually occurs in people over 60 years of age and presents with progressive loss of memory and psychosis with paranoid delusions. It is characterized by the formation and deposit of abnormal peptides such as amyloid plaques. And, you know, more than 2 million Brits have dementia-related psychosis. Uh, if you have a loved one who has dementia, you know this can be a very scary condition for both of those going through it and their caregivers. You know, especially when they must deal with psychiatric, uh, psych- psychotic episodes, which can be very unnerving. So, yeah. And my goal of this, um, you know, discussion here is just to clarify that this is a normal manifestation of the, el- the illness and it shouldn't really be, um, you know, an icky subject to be discussed. So, Dr. Ricardo, why Alzheimer's? What was your ambition behind devoting your attention to this neurodegenerative disease in particular? Well, I think as many other people in the field, probably I started also for like personal reasons. Like I had you know, my granddad in my family that had Alzheimer's disease. So I've always been interested since I started studying psychology in um, studying more what, the brain and the relationship with between the brain and cognition and what actually could affect cognitive decline. Um, and during my PhD, I started studying cognitive decline indeed, but in people with multiple sclerosis. But my aim has always been um, Alzheimer's. I was more interested in dementia. And uh, when I moved to my postdoc, I indeed started to study Alzheimer's. And I guess because also um, in my research group, the neuropsychiatric symptoms have been one of the main topics that have always been um, investigated. I've always been able really to um, to uh, be exposed to this topic. And I think it is actually very interesting because it's probably connecting different disciplines of so psychology, psychiatry, neurology, um, and definitely, you know, that, that, is, that I think is something I can uh, give probably my best contributions, contribution to. Yeah. Wow, that's quite fascinating, honestly. Um, the fact that you're, you know, you're providing so much help to people that mostly need it, um, and you're being of contribution to something, you know, that most people tend to avoid talking about because it's taboo in one way or another. Um, it's, it's quite nice, quite inspiring. I mean, um, regarding, you know, you mentioned delusions. Uh, when do you think those uh, mostly start to occur um, with Alzheimer's? In which stage exactly? Well, actually, it is quite interesting because while hallucinations are more associated with disease severity and duration, delusions are more associated in, in general with older age, probably in older patients. Uh, I think it is quite 
commonly observed that you know when patients with Alzheimer's disease maybe start to manifest some behavioral problems, usually it's more associated with uh, lack of motivation, so probably apathy, but also some mood changes, such as depression, that is really uh, quite common also in association with apathy. Um, and delusions and hallucinations instead usually are seen uh, at a later stage usually. But it's not, um, you know, it's not uncommon to see also patients that in the mild cognitive impairment stage might manifest with delusions. And unfortunately, some patients instead might have um, a psychiatric onset of the disease, even though they are not uh, psychiatric patients, they have a neurodegenerative condition, they might indeed manifest also with delusions and then only at a later stage with a cognitive decline. But usually, yes, it is at a later stage of the disease, we can say. Oh, okay, so from what I can get is that delusions, which are like firmly held beliefs and things that are not real, may occur in middle to late stages of Alzheimer's? Yes, exactly. It is possible that also the cognitive decline that occurs because of the neurodegenerative condition might indeed contribute to these false beliefs. Wow. Definitely. Wow, that's... Yeah. Yeah, we quite, we quite notice if, if we... If anyone, any of you listeners have ever encountered someone with delusions, um, they, they, they have, especially uh, older individuals, they suffer from confusion, memory loss. Uh, you know, these neuropsychiatric symptoms are quite ubiquitous in people with dementia, and their prevalence estimates are as high as um, 97%. So, yeah, and they're quite distressing. So, um, I'm, I'm glad Absolutely. someone like you is doing the research that has to be done. Uh, so looking at the current literature, uh, may you kindly inform us what the you know prototypical neural correlates of Alzheimer's disease are? So what areas of the brain are affected by it? Uh, this is another tricky topic because yes, there are a few studies out there. They have used different types of neuroimaging techniques, so to visualize not only the brain structure but also the functioning of the brain. Okay. What we know, yeah, what we know is that um, possibly there is an involvement mainly of the right frontal lobe in delusions. Wow. At least this seems to be what has been mostly, uh, mostly recurrently found in the literature. Hmm. Um, and usually this is in a um, is a malfunctioning of the right frontal lobe rather than um, proper atrophy. So there might be a loss of metabolism, loss of function in this area. Okay. Um, and this you know, is quite interesting because it's possibly a link to the fact that the right frontal lobe is actually quite important for reality monitoring. And this could yeah. be an explanation why yeah, in patients with Alzheimer's disease and delusions we might see problems in the in the frontal lobe yeah mm. however it's not the only area uh, some uh, alterations in the parietal lobes have been also found and this is interesting because the parietal lobes are tightly connected to the frontal lobes and they support attentional um, attentional um, functions so uh, this could be also a clue that maybe in some, at least in some cases of psychosis, especially probably in hallucinations, mm -hmm. uh, attentional problems might indeed drive the development of these symptoms. Um, but also more severe medial temporal lobe atrophy, so all of, of those areas that are uh, also affected by Alzheimer's disease, such as the hippocampus, but also the amygdala, that is quite important for emotional processing, 
might be associated with some of the psychiatric manifestations, such as, for example, uh, the paranoid delusions that are very emotionally distressing as well. Well, I can from what I can tell is that there are so many factors contributing, and I mean, from reduced gray matter density to you know hypometabolism as you're speaking, and um, so what we can tell is that many different brain structures are, are frequently associated with this, right? So we, we've got the inferior frontal gyrus, we've got the anterior cingulate cortex, the medial temporal lobe. It's uh, you don't know where to start, do you? <laughs> uh, but absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, um, so um, you, meant, you touched a little on psychosis. Uh, may I kindly know and um, um, have it maybe clarified in a very simple way because it's, it's such a complex term when you look at it from afar. What is dementia-related psychosis? How would you come to define it? Yes, um, it is a very interesting question actually because researchers have been arguing on how to diagnose psychosis in dementia because usually um, psychosis are mainly associated with other types of diseases that we think are more psychiatric, like, for example, schizophrenia. Yes, indeed. So psychosis, exactly, the, the, the um, types of symptoms are exactly the same. So we have two big clusters of symptoms, hallucinations, that is false perceptions in the absence of um, stimuli from the environment. And then we have delusions that are instead false beliefs. So the person is actually believing something that um, it's not true, it's not supported by the reality. Um, Dementia-related psychosis are psychosis that are not justified by any psychiatric history for the patient and that usually emerge only after a person has developed, we can say, mainly a neurodegenerative condition. It could be also vascular, cerebrovascular nature. Um, and so our psychosis really secondary to the fact that the brain has been affected by a neurodegenerative pathology. Okay. This is a simple question. Yeah. Well, thank you. you. I mean, there's a tremendous lack of understanding and knowledge about these terms, and you just made it very simple and straight to the point. So psychosis is when a person has trouble figuring out what is real and what is not. You know, people with psychosis may have delusions, um, and um, the minute we are to see, um, you know, these symptoms arise, that's how we know that the person is suffering from a neurodegenerative disease of one way or another. And, um, uh, you, you know, I came across a very interesting meta-analysis recently. It was showing the, you know, the median prevalence of psych psychotic symptoms, uh, aka delusions or hallucinations in patients with the Alzheimer's disease. And it was 41%, you know, uh, for hallucinations, but 36% for delusions. So how would you go about, you know, you know, Finding that fine line of distinction between the two cases of hallucination and delusion, how would you distinguish them? Uh, this is another tricky point, absolutely, because sometimes, especially in patients with dementia, so that have already a certain degree of cognitive impairment and that maybe are not, you know, very good at communicating the way they are feeling in the uh, in, in a specific moment, it's quite difficult to actually being able to distinguish what a patient is experiencing, if it is a delusion or an hallucination. I can probably bring an example because during lockdown I was interviewing some patients and carers for another study related to social isolation. And one of the carers actually reported that the patient um, got scared because they were thinking, or the patient was thinking that uh, somebody was out in the garden so that the patient was ready to storm out in the garden and chase a person that was not there. 
So we could say that probably this could be intended as a delusion, but actually, especially maybe uh, we could say around um, around uh, around the evening when maybe the lighting is not you know as good, some misperception of the person can be indeed misinterpreted as other types of stimuli that are not there. So indeed, the fine line between hallucinations and delusions, especially for those of the visual type, um, is, is difficult to distinguish. And, in thing, and indeed, especially in Alzheimer's disease, visual hallucinations and delusions of misperceptions, so especially due to the, um, a problematic perception of specific stimuli, they seem to be clustered together, so they might be um, highly associated to one another. Got it. So, obviously, they're both not the same thing. And uh, what I noticed you said is that, you know, hallucinations from the example you've gave, they're false perceptions and they uh, usually involve some type of, you know, um, miscommunicated sensory perception of what's around. So, it involves seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, or even feeling something that isn't there. Well, delusions are kind of more fixated on false beliefs, right? Exactly. Absolutely perfect. Look, like the um, perfect example of a delusions is usually a delusion of theft. So wow. the, the patient is convinced that somebody could be in the family, could be a neighbor, has stolen something from the person. But maybe it's just because the person has forgotten where the object has been put in the house. Oh my. And um, how, how do you, what tips would you recommend for, you know, people surrounding someone going through this, um, you know, to take on and practice, to be able to deal with this in the most proactive manner? Well, I guess the, the type of um, behavior that the carer should have is the same that you could have for any other symptoms. Try to understand that the person is, you know, um, experiencing something that probably yeah, it's, it's distressing for the person uh, himself or herself. So just try to be understanding, maybe even in cases of probably misperceptions, uh, for example, those that might occur in the evening uh, when the light is not good, try to indeed use a better light around the house so that the person can actually uh, see perfectly uh, the house, the room, and there is no room for indeed um, receiving in the wrong way the environment um, and in general trying to be reassuring with the person I guess and try I know it's difficult sometimes especially for delusions because if a person is convinced that the neighbor has stolen something from her um, yeah it's, it's quite difficult but I would say trying to be always understanding um, and not catastrophizing the situation definitely but it's um, it comes really from most of the time a place of uh, increased confusion in the person with dementia. I mean, one thing is trying to deal with someone that believes that he's being stolen from. What if, what if the person you know with severe delusions um, is trying to you know harm themselves? How how would we react to that? How would someone react? Well, usually I don't think it is very common self-harming. Okay. Um, it's, definitely, it's definitely more common in the psychiatric disorders. And indeed, there are some differences in the way this psychosis manifests in people with dementia and in people with schizophrenia, for example. Mm -hmm. 
um, because usually the hallucinations or the delusions are less severe, let's say, in people with dementia, and they are not as distressing as they are for people with schizophrenia. Uh, so in general, I would say that the risk of self-harming is very low, okay. also because it entails also a certain amount of planning that a person with dementia with cognitive impairment might not necessarily be able to, um, to put together. Um, however, if really the symptom becomes too distressing for the person and for the carer, it's definitely the best solution is to get an healthcare professional involved, so the GP or the neurologist that is in charge of the person, also to probably provide um, pharmacological therapy if needed. Oh, wow, okay. Um, speaking of uh, pharmacological therapy, you know, there's been a lot of advances recently. Um, and um, what, 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 do you, what are your thoughts, you know, what are the best, you know, current um, pharma, uh, you know, pharmacological therapies available for psychosis and uh, Alzheimer's disease? Um, well, definitely, anti, uh, typical antipsychotics have been used for many years, but there is always there are always some risks associated to uh, to the use of these antipsychotics um, related, yeah, related to cardiovascular risks, so increased mortality. So they are not, um, you know, free from any side effects. I guess what is interesting in the last few years, um, in new pharmacological treatments, especially. Uh, targeting the serotoninergic system and being trialed um, you know, effectively in people with Parkinson's disease and psychosis. But also recently, some smaller trials have been carried out for people with Alzheimer's disease, and they seem indeed to be working, especially in reducing the, um, the delusions of that are mostly severe in these patients. So um, there are some new treatments that have been tested, uh, and they seem to be working fairly well at the, at the moment, but of course, proper randomized controlled trials are needed to actually test the effectiveness of these uh, medications. Oh, well, so from what I, I, I can tell is that, okay, so they do have mild to moderate, you know, efficacy uh, relative to the placebos being administered on, in those studies, uh, but they do have serious side effects, right? I mean, namely Parkinsonism is just one of them. Um, so yeah, I guess there's plenty of room for future research to dive into. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to ask one more question. Thank you for giving us so much of your time. Um, do you think there is any evident proof that there is a genetic basis underlying psychosis in Alzheimer's? Well, like uh, most of the medical conditions that we know today, definitely um, genetics could play a role. Hmm. I guess uh, research so far has been focusing mainly on individual genes and many different genes have been studied to, um, to actually detect an increased risk of psychosis in Alzheimer's. Unfortunately, the results are not clear-cut at, at this stage. What we know is that a gene that is also involved in, that is the gene that most commonly is associated with an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease, that is the APOE gene. Okay. And in particular, yeah, and in particular, the epsilon um, four allele that is, you know, the most commonly known risk for Alzheimer's disease, seems to be given seems to be given to patients also an increased risk of psychosis. It's not um, a massive increase, but it seems uh, significant. So oh. this 
could tell us probably that indeed a gene that affects the person, that um, usually affects the prognosis, neurodegeneration, might indeed be associated also with the manifestation of psychosis that are secondary to the neurodegeneration. All right, so it's not it's not mandatory that if someone has a gene, then it's evident that they will be developing delusions or hallucinations. It's just that it may contribute to increasing the risk in one way or another, right? Absolutely, yes. There is no, to date, there is no gene that has been deterministically associated with the risk of uh, psychosis in people, in people with dementia, but also in people with other psychiatric diseases especially in schizophrenia, mm. it seems like the disease is probably, um, the, or at least the genetic contribution to the disease is polygenic. So it means that smaller modifications in the DNA and different genes might contribute a little bit to the phenotype, but of course um, the environment plays uh, an enormous role in the manifestation of schizophrenia, but also probably in the psychosis in Alzheimer's disease as well. Oh, wow. Okay, so uh, you, you drew a little attention here on some non-genetic factors. Uh, so what do you think are some you know, lifestyle factors which someone with Alzheimer's can control to help improve their condition? Um, well, in general, for Alzheimer's disease, the most commonly known risk factor is probably age at this stage. So the longer a person lives, the more is likely that the person will get Alzheimer's. But this is not, of course, uh, the case for most of the older people. Um, I'm specifically interested in a concept that is very, um, well, not, not new, but has been developed in the past probably 30 years. That is a concept of um, cognitive reserve. Wow. So okay. a series of the, yeah, a series of experiences in uh, in which to which we are exposed throughout our lifetime. For example, education, but also a cognitively engaging profession or social engagements, they all contribute to this concept that is cognitive reserve. So people with a higher cognitive reserve usually tend to express um, cognitive decline later on in life and usually later on um, after the disease has started. So what it means that even though at the beginning probably Alzheimer's disease might start, might cause some damage in the brain, people with a higher cognitive reserve can cope better with the damage and only at a later stage of the neurodegeneration they might manifest um, the disease, the, the, the symptoms, let's say the cognitive symptoms. So I would say there are a series of activities that we can engage with that stimulates our brain functioning that can be beneficial to at least um, push the, the onset of the disease farther back on, in time. Okay, so all we can do is really just delay the onset of Alzheimer's disease by, uh, you know, preventing the building of amyloid plates faster than they usually do, is that it? Um, well, we don't know, we still don't know um, the impact on the accumulation of the damage is that we can definitely cope better with the, with the accumulation of the damage and therefore in a person that um, usually has a lower cognitive reserve. Mm -hmm. As soon as the damage starts to happen in the brain, the symptoms might emerge. While in a person with high cognitive reserve, the symptoms will emerge after a greater amount of damage has been done to the brain. All right, got it. So, so this means that the person could live without symptoms for a longer period of time. 
I mean, we can really only do, uh, <laughs> we can do the best we can with what we know until we know better, right? I mean, um, for now, there's a lot of work to be done, especially um, with, you know, research on Alzheimer's. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much on touch- touching on, you know, the importance of having a, uh, on building on that cognitive reserve. And uh, where do you, before we end this episode, where do you think that the research um, is heading, you know, t- uh, towards with Alzheimer's and um, all its, uh, you know, featuring symptoms. Where do you think this research is heading right now? Well, um, specifically to, you know, to carry on on the topic of psychosis in Alzheimer's disease, I would say uh, I strongly encourage the combination of different approaches. So, so far, the research has tried to find uh, different biological correlates for psychosis. So using only neuroimaging using only genetics, using only the biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease. So they will be used separately. What I think is the future is to combine some of them, because if you think, you know, the distance between genes and behavior, like psychosis, is very wide. So if you think of a tiny little bit of your DNA, how can it influence psychosis? There is a big gap in between the two levels and what is in between should probably be studied um, to, jointly with the behavior and genetics so neuroimaging to try to see whether there are indeed some we could say also endophenotypes associated with psychosis but that can be influenced by genetics mm-hmm. and at the same time also probably uh, cognitive endophenotypes so i would say the combination of uh, the different biological but also cognitive biomarkers for psychosis is the best way forward to try to understand a little bit better what the environmental or the genetic risk factors could, um, what, what are the roles that could play on your degeneration and the symptoms associated with that. Got it, got it. So at the end, most of the research um, coming ahead is going to be getting to the specifics. So it's going to be narrowing it down a little. Um, I mean, honestly, Dr. Ricardo, I'm highly grateful for being able to have you here on my show. You gave us so much tremendous knowledge and um, yeah, um, there's a lot to be gleaned out of these words of wisdom. Uh, So thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Uh, For all you listeners out there, I've provided a link in the show notes below for a recent publication of Dr. Ricardo, which I have found quite fascinating. So do not forget to let me know what you think of this episode with a review or a comment wherever you know you find my podcast. I'll be talking to you very soon. And last but not least, thank you so much for your interest in science. Bye.